All right. If you didn't know, I'm not Jared. I'm Tyler. Um, and I don't usually preach, but this week I get to. Um, and I'm really excited about that. Um, before we get started, I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, um, we just lift you up this morning. And we ask that you would open our eyes, open our ears to hear, that as we uh, dig into your word, Lord, you would use it in powerful ways. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, a couple days ago, do I sound a little echoey? Yes. All right. Well, that's how it works sometimes, I guess. Um, anyway, a couple days ago, I was working on this sermon, actually. I was sit- sitting in my house working on this sermon. Uh, it was just after dinner, and um, I hear Sarah. She's in the back getting the baby ready. He's about to take a bath. And I hear her yell out my name. Uh, and it was in a way, I'm kind of like that. It was in a way that uh, I knew something was not super right. Uh, it kind of ended like a Tyler, if you know what that means. So I knew that something wasn't right. And so right away, I got up and I headed back there. And what's interesting is as we start this morning, Um, we're talking about a call, a call that a man who's writing this actually gets, uh, and his response is to stand up and to go right away. Um, We've been going through Matthew uh, in this series, and who writes the book of Matthew is is Matthew. And so um, here we get to a part in the story that I think for Matthew was probably a little different than writing any of, the other, any of the other books or any of the other parts of uh, the gospel that he's writing. This part of the account is, is his autobiography. Uh, this, there's a few sections of scripture here that now he enters into the story with Jesus. Um, and so I think as he writes this, this is probably something really important to him, something uh, that has a lot to offer us. And so we're just going to tear right into it. Uh, if you brought your Bible, we're going to open up to Matthew chapter 9. And it says this. As Jesus went on from there, this is talking about Capernaum. So he, Jesus has just been in this city where he healed a paralyzed man. And it says, as he went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. He's speaking in the third person. Um, Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus says, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why, why does your teacher eat with the with the tax collectors and the sinners. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So, 
Here's this really short part uh, where Matthew is, is part of this story. Um, obviously, he becomes a disciple, and, and he begins to follow Jesus. But this is the moment that changes everything for Matthew. This, this is the start of a whole new life for him. And it starts with this call. And Matthew, it says, Matthew, he, he says, I, Matthew, was sitting at the tax collector's booth. And now this is probably a spot where Matthew spent a lot of his life because he was a tax collector. That's what he did. And we're in tax, we're in tax season right now. Hopefully you know that because it's <laughs> coming up pretty soon. If you're like me, you haven't even started to do anything. But um, we hate, most of us hate paying taxes. No one like, loves giving their money away to, to the government. But at least for us, right, at least for us, we're giving it away to our own government, to our own country, where you know, it pays for things like police, and it pays for things like roads, and you know, it, at least there's that. But <laughs> the, the Israelites, they, they didn't have that, uh, they didn't have that 2,000 years ago. See, the, Israel was an occupied country by Rome. Rome had come and taken them over. And so, I don't know if you've uh, studied Roman history at all, but the Romans were pretty vicious. That's how they became this world superpower, is they went out and they just conquered everyone. And Rome was huge and they grew, and uh, the Roman Empire was one of the biggest empires to ever exist. And they would just go out and conquer and destroy any of their enemies, and if you didn't submit to, to Rome, they took you out. And so they have, they have come to Israel, they are, they're over Israel, they're in power now, and now they're taxing Israel really high rates. They're taxing them just really unfairly, and, and, and what's horrible about it is it doesn't even go towards Israel. It goes towards Rome. I don't know if you've seen the movie Red Dawn, but uh, the whole plot of the movie is that Rush, or, yeah, Russia comes and takes over the U.S., and it's these guys you know, fighting back against the power that's occupied the US, right? But imagine you're, sitting, you're paying taxes, super high tax rates, to a country that's not even your own country, to the country that's come and taken you over, who's, who's probably done some pretty terrible things to, to people you know. They, they've probably done some pretty, I mean, they're just this abusive power over Israel. And you have to pay them. You have to pay them. And, the tax collectors, most of us know that the tax collectors were bad guys. They were the Jews who sold out their own people. They were the Jews who aligned themselves with the Romans and said, okay, look, if this, if this can make me rich, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm to take from my own people and give to the Roman government. It's almost like uh, in Nazi Germany, there were the, the Jewish capos, they were the guys who kind of turned on their own people. They, would, they were the informants for the Nazis. And they did it so that they could, you know, maybe make a little money, have a little better outlook on their own life. But, but they turned, I mean, they were total traitors to their own people. And this is what the tax collectors are like. They're total traitors to their own people. And not only are they collecting money for the Roman government, but they're lining their own pockets with, with their friends and family, their countrymen, 
they're lining their pockets with their money too. And they get rid tax collectors were really wealthy in this day. And that's why they would do it. It's because it would make them a lot of money. And so a tax collector was just hated. And, and some of the, the worst things about tax collectors uh, w was that they, they traded out their own people. They stole. They lied. They were scum of the earth, really. And at most of the time when the Bible even talks about tax collectors, it just says tax collectors and sinners, because it was like this synonymous term, right? And here comes Jesus up to a tax collecting booth. I don't know what the other disciples are thinking at that point. He, he's already called um, the fishermen, right? And those guys aren't like super top of the you know, social class back then, but, but they weren't hated. So I don't know what they're thinking as Jesus walks up to this tax collector booth, but they're definitely not thinking, gosh, I hope he, he tries to get a tax collector to join us. <laughs> like they're, they're definitely not thinking, man, you know what would be awesome? If everyone hated us because we associated with this tax collector. This is the last guy you'd want on the team. This is the last guy, especially if you're trying to start a movement, you don't go and pick out the guy, the guy who's the most hated, the, the worst, the criminal, the, the guy who's sold everyone out, the traitor. Why would you want that guy on your team? But Jesus walks up to Matthew, and he says, follow me. And Matthew gets up from his booth, and it says he followed him. And here's what is, is a big deal about this. For the other disciples, uh, the, the fishermen who've been called, they, in following Jesus, they, they took this big step, right? They left behind their old life and they began to follow Jesus. But for the fishermen, if things didn't work out with Jesus, they could always go back to fishing. You know, that's actually what they did when Jesus is crucified and then Jesus is resurrected and comes back. Where does he find these guys? He finds them back fishing, doing what they were doing before. But for Matthew, he doesn't have that luxury. If he leaves his tax collector booth, if he leaves his job, there's like 10 guys in line ready to take that spot. There's no going back to, to the way things were before for him. There is no plan B for Matthew. And so for him to get up from his tax collector booth and decide to follow Jesus, it was a huge step. I mean, his life could never go back to the way it was before. I think he knew this. There's something special about Jesus' call on his life. When, when Jesus said, follow me, Matthew felt something that he'd never felt before. I don't know if you've felt that call. Uh, I certainly have. But what happens next? Matthew decides to throw a party. He has Jesus over for dinner, and he, and he invites his friends, and most of his friends are tax collectors and sinners, because that's probably the only person who would associate with a tax collector is another tax collector. I mean, they weren't even allowed in the synagogue at the time. And so here's all these tax collectors hanging out, these sinners hanging out with Jesus at dinner, and up come the Pharisees. And Pharisee, the Pharisees, it says, they saw this and they asked, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? 
I want to do uh, something a little different. I'm going to do a little demonstration. I, I kind of need like five volunteers who aren't afraid to get on stage. So, all right, Curtis, Darren, Danny. Wow, thanks for volunteering. <laughs> all right, one, two, three, four. Mike, you're five. Okay, bold men. Thank you. Everyone give them a round of applause. Yeah, come on up, all the way up. All right, so what we're going to do here <clears throat> is I've got a couple signs. All right, now, who wants uh, Danny? All right, Danny, you're now Hitler, okay? All right, so you go, go to this far end of the stage over here, all the way over there. Um, who is my best person? Hmm. <laughs> Here we go. All right, Curtis, you get it. All right, Curtis gets to be Billy Graham, all right? Give it up for Curtis. What a good guy, okay? And you're on this side of the stage. Now, here's what the tax collectors would kind of do. They would kind of separate people out like this. They're, they're, here's the scale. The, maybe the worst person ever. Not Danny, Hitler. Uh, and, and maybe the best person, or, or one of the best people, certainly uh, someone that a lot of people respect and think is awesome and um, has done a lot of great things, given away a lot of money. And then everyone else falls in between, right? So here we have Kobe Bryant. I know, it's Phoenix. We don't like Kobe Bryant people, <laughs> all right? So where do we think Kobe Bryant should go on this scale? Like this way? <laughs> Okay, how far? How far? A little more. Right there? All right. All right, there we go. What about George Washington, the founder of our country? Hmm, you know, there's some cultural things, but, you know, he did do some good things. So what, what, what do we think? To the left or the right of Kobe Bryant? This way? Maybe like right? Okay, we'll keep him in the middle. That's good. Now, here is Bill Gates, a regular Bill Gates, right? Where does Bill Gates go? And he's, he gives away a lot of money. You got to think about it. He gives away a lot of money. He employs a lot of people. Where do we think Bill Gates? In between these two, maybe on this side of George Washington, on that side, this side, right here? Okay. All right, so here, here's our spread, right? And this is what the Pharisees would do. The Pharisees would separate people like this. And here's what maybe I think we do as well. This is what we have in common with the Pharisees. Is everyone has drawn a line at some place. Now, where do we think this line should be? Bad, good. Who's right here? Maybe here? Bad, good. Like right... I don't know. You think this way a little? Like, okay. You could split George Washington down the middle, honestly. Yeah. Okay. He's, he's kind of like undecided. We'll be right here. Yeah. All right. Give it up for the, the volunteers. All right. You guys can head down. Thank you, guys. Here's the thing. This is what the Pharisees did, okay? And, and they saw people this way. They saw, okay, if you're a tax collector, you're pretty far. You're, you're way down here. You're dirt, you're scum. And they would set this line pretty far over this way. 
They would say, you know what? In order to be a good person, it takes a lot. You have to do a lot of good things. And, and guess what? As a, as a Pharisee, I am doing a lot of good things. I'm giving away a lot of money. I'm following all the rules. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to. So, so I'm on this good side. And what's happening here in this, in this verse is the Pharisees are afraid of being contaminated by the other side of the line. So when, when Sarah called my name, I got up and I went uh, back to Judah's bedroom. I, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, something's not good. Maybe he peed everywhere. I don't know. So I walk in, and sure enough, here's a diaper just full to the brim, past the brim. I mean, I can hardly even see the di- where the diaper is um, because it's just, just covered. And I can see that there's already a mess forming, uh, that, that it's on his legs and kind of on his front and back. And, and I, I can see it's on the changing table and a little bit on her hand. <laughs> and I start to get a little anxious and panicky. And I, I'm like, OK, but I'm like a really good dad, so I've got to get in here. And so I, I go in, and I start to, to help out a little bit. Um, and I don't know when this happened, but at some point, as I'm trying to, to wipe, and Sarah's kind of holding the feet, we're tag teaming it, Judah reaches down, that Judah right there, and uh, he grabs his diaper. And I did, it was so fast, I didn't even see, see it. And all of a sudden, his hand is just covered. And now he's, he's wiped it on the wall. And, and then he reaches over and it hits my hand. Now it's on my hand. And then he reaches over and, and grabs Sarah's dress. And now it's on Sarah's dress. And now I'm starting to panic a little. <laughs> and I'm starting to think, like, this is, this is going really, really bad. Uh, this is d- d- pretty disgusting. I don't know if I can handle it. And so I'm pretty sure we switch spots at this point. Like, Sarah, you take over. I'll just kind of hold a uh, position here. And at some point, I, I lose focus on my part of the job and, and watching what Sarah is doing. And he reaches up and grabs my face. And at, at this point, I lost it. And I, I kid you not, I just scre- I screamed like, it was like halfway a girly scream, but kind of a manly scream like at the same time. I just yelled. And then the baby started crying because I, I yelled like, Aah! And the baby started crying, and now Sarah is like, what is wrong, what is wrong with you? Like, are, are you kidding me right now? And I just, I just felt like, gosh, I was just contaminated. Like, I was so dirty. Contam- it was on my face, and I was panicking. And I think that this is what the Pharisees feel in, in a spiritual, moral sense when they're looking at the tax collectors. They're thinking, I don't want to get that on me. I don't, want, I don't want any of what they have to, to, to spoil the cleanliness that I have, right? This is, this is how contamination works. I mean, it's exactly what happened to me. When, when something clean comes into contact with something unclean, the clean thing becomes unclean. I don't know if you know this, but the least clean thing in your house is a sponge that's been sitting in your sink. I did a little research that almost like 70% of sponges have mold and bacteria, and they're pretty disgusting. But 
that's the thing that we use to clean the rest of our stuff, which is, which is a strange thing, neither here nor there. But <laughs> that's how it works, right? When, when something infected comes into contact with something that's not infected, the infected thing or the uninfected thing can become infected. And so the, tax, or the, the Pharisees are thinking, I don't want to be around the tax collectors. I don't want to get infected. I don't want to get dirty. And there's actually a little bit of logic behind this. And there's actually a little bit of sense behind this. I mean, even with our kids, we don't want our kids hanging out with the other bad kids, right? We don't want them hanging out with those kids who smoke and drink and do that thing because because well, what's going to happen? If you spend time around these people, you're going to become more and more like them. And so there is a little bit of logic here that these Pharisees are saying, look, we don't want to be around these people because we don't want to be like them. We don't want to become like them. But Jesus responds to them after overhearing what they say to his disciples. He said, it says this, On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. I love this response to the Pharisees. Because first he gives this really practical analogy. Right? He says, look, I'm a doctor. I'm the great physician, and I have come to heal sickness. So I'm going to be around sick people. I've come to heal this spiritual sickness. And then he quotes from the Bible, from the Old Testament, Hosea 6.6. He says, go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Essentially, it was kind of funny. He's saying to the Pharisees, like, you should read your Bible because you need to go learn what it means. You're misunderstanding things here. You need to go back and take a look at what the Bible says, about what Scripture says. And what Jesus is really saying is that I am coming to flip up things upside down. For, for all of eternity, the things that are unclean, when they come in contact with the things that are clean, they make the clean things unclean. Now, Jesus is saying, look, I am the clean who are coming into contact with the unclean to make them clean. The, the infection is flipped. This is what C.S. Lewis even calls the good infection in some of his writings. This idea that the clean is now infecting the unclean. Almost this exact same scenario happens to, to Jesus like multiple times throughout the scriptures. Um, and, and in another part of scripture... In Luke, it says this, that the tax collectors and sinners were all, there we go, Luke 15, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Almost the same thing happening here, right? This is a different point in Jesus's life. This is not the same exact time but a very, very similar situation. He's spending time with these dirty people, these unclean people. And Jesus responds this time in a little bit of a different way. He tells three stories. 
If you look in the Bible, they're called the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And what happens is in the lost sheep, there's a shepherd who loses a sheep. So he leaves the rest of his flock to go find that one sheep, and he finds that sheep and brings him back, and he celebrates when he does. And then the lost coin. There's a woman who loses a coin, and she goes searching for her coin. She can't find it anywhere. And finally, she finds her coin, and she, she calls her friends. She calls her family, and she's like, I'm throwing a party. I found the coin. And then there's the lost son. A lot of us know there's a dad with this son, and he runs away. He says, I don't want anything to do with you. I just want the stuff that you can give me. And the father obliges him. He says, okay, go. So he goes, and he spends it on wild living, and he ends up eating pig slop. He's, he just, just blows it all. And he gets to this point in his life where it says, the Bible says he comes to his senses and realizes, and I would have it better at my father's house even as a slave. That would be better than this. And it picks up. It says this. While, so he decides he's going to come home. And while he is still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son, who had kind of practiced this little speech, says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father stops him in the middle of his, his practiced little speech, and he says to his servants, Quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. There's three things that are lost, and, and then when they're found, there's a celebration that happens. Jesus makes it clear, I am here to save sinners. I'm the doctor that's here for the sick. I'm here for the broken. And it's a celebration when they're found. It's a celebration. The father says that the son was dead and now he's alive. It's a celebration when the dead come back to life. And so... I think a lot of us have heard this before. A lot of us have heard, yes, Jesus saves the bad people, but I want to beg the question, ask the question, what about the Pharisees? Does Jesus love the Pharisees? Well, we could all kind of nod our heads along. Yeah, Jesus loves everyone. So yeah, he loves the Pharisees. But Jesus has a lot of pretty harsh words for the Pharisees, right? He calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He calls them uh, the blind leading the blind. He's, he's a lot of times very harsh with these, with these guys. And I want to finish this story that Jesus is telling about the lost son, because this is not the end. There's another son in the story, and it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your the servant says, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, 
Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he doesn't say my brother, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is almost the exact story that is happening with Matthew. I mean, the the parallels are, are pretty unbelievable, right? It's almost like Jesus is telling the story to make a point about what's happening at that current moment. You know, here is Matthew, the bad guy, the lost brother, the one who's, who's blown it, the one who's done terrible things. And he comes home. And now there's, there's a feast. There's a party going on. Because what was lost is now found. And who comes and is upset at the party, the Pharisee. The older brother is standing at the door asking, what the heck is going on here? And I think what's wrong is that this, this older son, he has a relationship with his father, father that is just totally distorted. It's totally broken. It's totally twisted in a way that it was never meant to be. And we can see this just looking at one verse here, looking at verse 29. It says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. He uses this term slaving for you. This is what, this was literally like a master-slave term. That's why, that's why it says slaving. Um, other versions might say I've, I've served you, but, but slaving is actually probably a better translation. And... Um, and I can imagine the father looking at him, thinking, why, why do you feel like you're slaving for me? I'm, I'm your father. I'm not your master. You're not my sl- I'm your father, and I love you. He says, I've never disobeyed your orders. I, I do everything you ask. Almost as if he's saying, like, I have sacrificed for you. I've given up so much, and you, and you don't even throw me a party. I think this is why Matthew, in chapter 9, quotes Hosea, the verse Hosea 6.6, and says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Because the very, the very idea that these people are standing in front of God, the God of the universe, they're standing in front of Jesus and saying, I have sacrificed for you is insane. I have sacrificed so much for God. they're, They're getting the whole story confused, and they're getting their whole place in it mixed up. They were never asked to be the slave. They were meant to be the son. And they're misunderstanding their place in the story. It's almost as if, uh, let's say, there's a father and a son, and he takes his little kid to, uh, out for his birthday, and he buys him a bike, and he buys him 
some awesome Nerf guns, and they go and they have his favorite dinner, uh, which is surf and turf, so it's really expensive. And then at the end of the night, they think, okay, let's go to a movie, it'll be so fun, and they go to the kid's favorite movie, and the father gets some popcorn and soda, and, and the kid wants some M&Ms, and so they get him some M&Ms, and they're sitting in the movie theater, and the father reaches over to grab an M&M, and the son recoils back, looks at the dad, and says, okay, look, you can have one, but you owe me. This is, this is what the Pharisees are doing. They think, well, I'm going to put God in my debt. Look, there, there is an amazing similarity between the older son and the younger son. They're both trying to get things from the father, not get the father himself, right? The younger son does it by saying, I just want this stuff and I'm, I'm out, I'm running. And that's how some of our lives have been. Maybe we're the person who just said, I'm going to run. I'm going to run from this whole God thing. I'm going to run. I'm just, I'm out. But the older son, he wants the same thing. He's, I, he says, look, the father says, you've always been with me. You, everything I have is yours. And the older son says, yeah, but you never throw me a party. I never got the stuff. I want the stuff. Like, it's this amazing similarity between them two. The younger son goes about it by running away. The older son goes about it by obeying and trying to put the father into his debt. And this is what the Pharisees do, and I think this is sometimes what we can do. Church people. I remember one of the first times I read this story, I thought, the older brother, he's got a point. Like, come on. Like, he was good, and, and the bad kid, he's the one who gets the party? And that's how I know that there's probably something a little wrong in my heart. There's something a little Pharisee in my heart if I'm starting to agree with the older brother. If I'm starting to agree that, yeah, you know what, the father is, this is kind of messed up. So back to Matthew 9. Jesus' response, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, look, I'm here for the sinners, not the righteous. I'm here for the sick, not the healthy. I'm here for the bad, not the good. And here's, here's why this is good news for the Pharisees. As I saw, I saw some of you guys pointing me, like, I should go all the way this way. And the truth is, this, this sign belongs all the way over here all the way on that side, and you say, why is that good news? Why would it be good news that, that everyone is bad? Because Jesus says, I have come for the bad. That's why I'm here. I'm here for the older brother and the younger brother. The younger brother might know he's bad. The older brother, that's what I'm trying to get him to understand, is that he's part of the group too. He's not, he's dirty. I, I'm coming, I'm I've come to heal him as well. And what he says is, look, both of you are invited back home. Both of you are invited into the party. Tim's going to, in the band, they're going to come up and close us with worship. Um, and we're going to go into communion. And what we celebrate in communion 
is that this sign, this bad good, right? And, and the truth is Jesus is, is the only one who, who made it over here. And when he says, I have come for the sick, I have come for the broken, I have come for not the righteous but sinners, he's saying, I have come for everyone else. That's why I'm here. And anyone who's willing to admit that they're not on this side, but they're on this side, I'm going to trade places with you. Anyone who's willing to put their faith in me, anyone at all, I'll trade places. You, you will stand on the good side, and I'll stand on the bad side for you. That's what the, the, the bread and the juice is about. It's Jesus. His body was broken for us. That's what the bread is. His body broken for us. The juice is his blood poured out for us. Because we're bad. We're bad. We couldn't do it on our own. We couldn't earn it on our own. We're not good enough, whether we think we are or not. And Jesus says, look, I'll take the punishment you deserve. I'll take the wrath that you deserve. I'll, 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 switch, I'll switch spots with you. Just come back in to the party. I love, I love you, son. He loves both his sons. Whichever one you identify with, God is saying to you, look, come back into the party. I love you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you came to heal sickness, to fix what's broken. Because we are broken, God. That means you came for us. You came for each person in this room. No matter how good or bad they think they are, no matter how good or bad they actually are, Lord, you came for each of us. And you called us to a new life, just like Matthew. A life that would be totally different than the life we had before. <laughs> we think that you love us so much, so much, that you were willing to trade places with us that you would chase after us, that you would throw your arms around us, that you would call us back in. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.